Hi, this is Sean Ferrick from Trek Culture. You are listening to Spock the Week podcast. Welcome to Spock the Week, the show where two pals attempt to talk about Star Trek. Each week we will be discussing a different topic and bringing you some laughs, some jokes and occasionally a Gregor rat. If you like what you are listening to, then please consider subscribing to us on the platform of your choice. And also you can follow us on Twitter at Spock Week, and also on Facebook by searching Spock the Week. If you like what you are listening to as well, you can support the show by visiting buymeacoffee.com forward slash Spock the Week pod. So without further ado, let's get into this week's episode. And welcome to Spot the Week. If you're surprised to hear my voice, it's because JJ has taken a couple of weeks off. He's slacking. The Android is recharging his batteries. I'm surprised at that. He's an Android. Obviously, he's not got the Elon Musk Tesla batteries in him, so we'll have to get him upgraded. However, your co-host Gregor's here. The lunatics have truly taken over the asylum and JJ's absence. But even better than JJ, we are joined for the first time tonight by Mr. or with Mr. James Golding. Hello. Good evening. Thank you for joining us. And I hope you enjoy your first time with us. I hope it's not too daunting for you. So No, not at all. Not at all. So since you've never been on, how, what was your introduction to Star Trek? What, what was it pulled you in then, James? It will have been when I was a kid and it used to be on all the time and my dad used to watch TNG um, and I remember, I even remember the first episode that he kind of foisted me into watching because um, I, I didn't have a clue, I was a bit young at the time, um, but I'm terrible with episode names as we carry on talking today you'll realize episode names aren't a thing that my brain can do so it's the one with the um, man and the lady in the white house on the planet oh yeah survivors something like that yeah i I think yeah like i say i'm terrible at episode names i don't know uh but i remember watching that and just thinking this is really cool and then watching it more with him and then eventually dad stopped watching because he couldn't be bothered anymore but i just kept watching and then really got into it when ds9 came out that was mm. the 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 real uh first star trek because i watched that one as it was on television if you know what i mean and mm. and that that was really good I really loved ds9 i mean it sounds from what you just described as your your tng experience it sounds like even then at a young age you were noticing that there was a little bit more cerebral storytelling going on yeah it's it's like action films and things have never excited me because it's just normally someone like jean-claude van damme running around with a gun and there's there's no intrigue to that it's just a guy with a gun uh fighting um whereas the yeah like you say the cerebral elements of star trek's definitely um very appealing Mm. and like yourself i did watch ds9 um in the 1990s when it was on the TV. I was a pub manager at the time. I'm a little bit older than you. So my social time was all over the place. So yeah. I didn't I didn't get to watch Deep Space Nine perhaps in order that I should have. I think that was also somewhat compounded by the fact that both Sky One and BBC who used to show Deep Space Nine didn't show the episodes in order. No, that didn't help, especially when you get to like the later seasons where it being yeah. in order really matters. Yeah, uh, it wasn't really until it was almost finished and I started to watch it and I, I, the opportunity arose thanks to DVDs and the like uh, yeah. and a change of jobs so that it was being repeated and it was being repeated in order this time that I, it started to, to really pull me in. Um, and if anyone that listens to the show will know that Deep Space Nine is my favourite I am I am a deep space minophile, big time. Yeah, no, I, I will join you on that one. Yeah, um, but yeah, I, I'm even converting JJ into it. I, I don't know what JJ's favourite track is, actually. It's Voyager. Oh, is it? Yeah. I Does know. he not like stories? <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, I've had this conversation with JJ, and I'll, I'll be interested to hear your opinion. I, I, I think Voyager's okay. You know, I, I think the problem with Voyager is that it's inconsistent. Yeah. I think it has moments that are truly great classic trick in every sense of the word that's got that storytelling about what it is to be human, particularly done through the Doctor and yeah. Seven storyline that featured from season four onwards. And, and it's done through you know, a lot of analogy as well. And, and that's just, I think it's responsible for some of the great moments of Trek. Just didn't have that consistency. And it was a real opportunity wasted, with, I think. I, I think my main issue with Voyager is the premise of Voyager as a series mm. just was crying out for a massive, big, long story arc. Mm. Yeah. And and they, it's not like they, that had never been done before because they'd just been starting doing that with DS9 and realising how successful actually having an ongoing arc can be in a series. But they made it episodic and it, I just don't think that that fit with the... I, I don't know, I just think Voyager was crying out for series-long arc kind of um, yeah. Star Trek rather than episodic. Yeah, and, and the thing is when you hear... Uh, Brannon Brannon Braga and Rick Berman and who else was involved at that that, that sort of very senior level of, it wasn't Michael Puller, he was, I think he was ill at the time, about the time Voyager was starting. Uh, Was it Jerry Jerry Taylor? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, And I think think in its original concept, uh, it was mooted that it would be seven seasons like TNG and each season would be a sector of the Delta Quadrant. So, yeah. you know, the, the, the whole point of season one was going to be, it was going to be the, the Kazon, season two was going to be the Vidians, season three was going to be uh, the Herogians or someone else. Um, yeah. Year of Hell was meant to be an entire season of its own. Yeah. Um, but they bottled it. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that is the major downside to Voyager. That's why tongue-in-cheek, I said, does he not like stories? I meant yeah. more on- ongoing, long, because, yeah, it's got brilliant episodes. It's yeah. got terrible ones as well, but it wouldn't be a series of Star Trek if it didn't have both amazing and terrible episodes. Well, as as, as you brought it up, um, regular listeners will know that our listener in Texas... <laughs> That downloads every every episode according to the the, the analytics that JJ looks. If you you know, thank you once again for listening. But our listener in Texas and Ian up in Aberdeen will know that Threshold is my favourite episode of Voyager. Really, it is fantastic. It is the best episode I have ever seen, and I talk about it on every single episode of Spot the Week. <laughs> I don't know quite how to respond to that. I I, I beat the drum. For the salamander babies. It it's just too weird. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't join you on that one. Gigi doesn't join me in that one either, but I still bring it up every week. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So a couple of weeks ago, we put out a little request on Twitter because we've discussed certain characters in previous episodes, but I think we've discussed the Vulcans as well. Yeah. In a previous episode. And Stuart McElwain, another listener, three listeners, like I said, at the start of the show, got three listeners. Hey, you've been double figures, sir. I know, I know. Um, he came back and he suggested that we talk about the Klingons. And I think that's a, a good idea. Yep. I have some thoughts, but I, I would like to hear your thoughts on the Klingons. Which ones? <laughs> has to be my well, question for that one. Well, because we've got Discovery Klingons, we've got original series Klingons, we've got TNG slash DS9 Klingons, and I don't think any of those three are actually the same race. I think they've just got the same name. <laughs> well, we're going to go off on an arc here because we're going to go probably from TOS right through to Enterprise Klingons because I do want to talk about um, Affliction yep. from, from Enterprise which inevitably is going to come from talking about the trouble with troubles and uh, yep. trials and tribulations. Uh, um, but you, you came dangerously close to setting me off on a rant there by mentioning the Discovery Klingons, the Klingon orcs. Um, oh, I'm just going to say this. I'm going to get this out of the way first. Go on. Oh, right. I, I just... 
in principle, I don't actually have that much of an issue with them changing the Klingons that much. I think each iteration of Star Trek is a product of its time, and there will be some aesthetic changes. I don't, yeah. So, in principle, I don't have that much of an issue with it. I think what compounds it with me, if they had been better characters, and it's this recurring theme with New Trek, where they come up with a concept and then it disappoints. You don't get the payoff. And I think the example I would use of that, in terms, since we're talking about Klingons, would be Laurel. Laurel started off in Discovery as a fascinating character, an interesting Klingon woman in the form of two, that I'm sure two other Klingon females that we're going to talk about tonight later, Kalar and Grilka. And they just, at the end, she stood up with an iPad saying, I'm going to blow up the, the Klingon homeworld. And I was just left, we went, we went through all that for one of the most interesting characters yeah. in the show to behave like that. And this is what disappoints me. It's just, if that, if, I would probably like Discovery if it didn't disappoint me by constantly letting down the good, the good ideas that it, that it introduces and not following through on them. It's, this is the Voyager conversation. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, 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 I get what you're coming from with Discovery there, especially with the um, Klingons. They didn't feel like Klingons. They felt like they'd had the culture and all the the background that we've been so used to just kind of stripped away and just made into almost like in TOS where they're just generic baddies. They don't have any mm. culture. They don't have anything about them. They're just a baddie. Uh, and I felt that that's how they were in the beginning in Discovery. Um, I think in season two, they got they got better with the Klingons. The Klingons were a bit more Klingon, but not Klingon enough, but you know what I mean. Um, and, well, season three, we haven't really come across Klingons in um, season three. Maybe that's why it's better. Um, but, yeah, it's it's difficult to describe and to talk about the whole of... Klingon existence because they're just so vastly different and you describe them as space orcs and I think that's a perfect way of describing season one discovery um, Klingons uh, don't get me wrong I absolutely love Mary Chifo as an actress she's absolutely phenomenal um, she's fantastic fantastic yeah. person as well brilliant yeah. oh yeah she's lovely uh, brilliant at the conventions absolutely yeah. brilliant yeah, we were at um, Destination Star Trek in Birmingham, the last one that they had. And we were stood in line waiting to talk to somebody else. And I'd got hold of my daughter's hand and she's pulling away and pulling away. And I turned around at one point and she stood there having a conversation with Mary Chifo about glitter mm. makeup. We weren't even in a line to go and see Mary Chifo. And she's just <laughs> stood there having a conversation. with. And the fact that she engages with fans in such a way, and you can tell as well that she is a fan. It, it's it's really obvious with Mary that she loves Star Trek. And I, I mean, if she's not shows. a fan, if she's not a fan, she's clearly put the hours into, you know, playing yeah. the part. And, and that, this is what again, this is what disappoints me is because she was doing it so well. And I, I know you said they weren't that Klingon. If there was anyone that was Klingon in season one, it was Laurel, up until yeah. the last episode. Yes. Um, but yeah. So you mentioned that we've got multiple Klingons. Yeah. And you've watched an episode of the original series. I've watched two today in preparation two. for this. Okay. I so. usually avoid it like trying to avoid the general public in a supermarket. But... <laughs> Anti-basker in a supermarket. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so which, which two did you watch then? Um, I watched the what now again I'm terrible with um, names trouble with tribbles I remember the name of that one I watched yeah. that one um, and I watched the one where they go to the planet and it turns out that they're not just people that they're protecting from the Klingons that they're like super duper being things and they oh yeah uh, they form a is that errand of, mer errand of mercy it, it, it could be I'm really sorry. Okay. I should write down try, episode titles. I, 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 I get mixed up because a private little war is the one. It's uh, the one that the treaty comes out of. Yeah, I think that's Erin of Mercy. It's Corn core that's in it, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's the one. Yes, isn't it? Is, it, is this the one where the one Kirk's wondering why they're not fighting back? Is that right? Yes. 
and they all just stand there and go, but you're safe, you're safe, nobody can hurt you here. Yeah, that's that's Errand of Mercy. Uh, And that's where we meet Cor, John Colossus, who will come back when we get to the DS9 Klingons, I'm sure. Um, Yeah, so I think that's the first episode we actually meet a Klingon. And you alluded to the underdevelopment of Klingons in the original series, as or the fact yeah. it was pure and simple bad baddies. Yeah, it um, was 1960s sci-fi baddie. Yeah, I, it's, I mean, they were an analogy for the Russians in the Cold War at that time, so they were a little bit two-dimensional. Which is odd, because they made them look like, um, like Mongol kind of... Um, you know, you, you think of like uh, Genghis Khan and that kind of, mm. that that's the kind of aesthetic that you get from them, so. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Genghis Khan because there, there is a Klingon in the Savage Curtain, which if you're not a TOS fan, you'll definitely not like that episode. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's the one with the green hand that holds the inter- Enterprise. Oh, I've seen clips of that and yeah, yeah I'll, I'll carry on avoiding that one. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, and... I, I mean, I think the greatest episode, I, I think the one, the episode of the original series that's a Klingon episode that I enjoy the most, and I think most people would say, agree with me, is The Trouble with Tribbles. However, yeah. I, I think the best episode, because there is a difference between what you enjoy and what you think is the best. Yep. The best Klingon episode is A Private Little War, which was an analogy about the Vietnam War. Right. Where the Klingons were helping one primitive race in a war against another primitive race and Kirk comes in and helps the other primitive race. So it was very clearly an analogy for what the US and the Russians and the Chinese were doing in Vietnam. Yeah. Um, and that's when sci-fi is at its best for me is when it's doing that kind of storytelling. Oh, definitely. Uh, it wouldn't be Star Trek without that element of social commentary in there. Mm. But uh, yeah, they looked different, as you said. <laughs> Yeah, which you can understand it was 1960-whatever when they were first getting the ideas together. It's a pilot for a new show. They're not going to spend the amount of money it would have taken to make them look like they did in the first um, film that had Klingons in when they made the transition into the, what I was going to say, what we now think of as Klingons, although what do we think of them as now? Do we think of space orcs? Anyway, um, (laughs) to the the TNG DS9 era um, Klingon, um, it it, it makes sense. I I get why aesthetically they didn't look there. And I I could have dealt with that more had they had any sort of culture about them at all. But they were just generic bad i've gone back to that phrase again but they were just generic bad guys and i like my characters to be a bit more well-rounded than that both the good and the bad yeah i, I think funnily enough for you i'm going to talk about where i think the the klingon lore really started yep in detail but i, I just want to mention something i actually think the lore didn't start with us story or a particularly big Klingon part. I think the genesis of the Klingon law and what the genesis uh, the, the, the Klingons became actually started with the motion picture. A, as you've already said, we got the Klingon, the classic Klingon look. What, or yeah. what, what has become the classic Klingon look? Not the original series look, I think. This is the, the classic one. This is the look that they modified slightly for TNG, but this is the look. But the scene where you see the three D7 battle cruisers approaching the Vija cloud. Thanks to Jerry Goldsmith, we have the first proper Klingon motif playing. Yeah. And it's that background, that pulsing background and the, the trumpet, the yeah. and that makes you feel like you're supposed to when you see a Klingon. Yes. Yeah, which they didn't quite get in the 60s because they just no. have the standard sci-fi yeah. something was about to happen, which yeah. didn't work right. But yeah, no, I, I, I agree completely. The, the, the score is so important mm. and it makes such a huge difference, especially I mean, in, in a scene like that. And they use that Klingon motif all the time. 
for yeah. years to then use that. It's, it gets used in first contact when the Defiance attacking the Borg cube yeah. in the battle. Uh, it, it's been used frequently whenever a Klingon appears now. And it's I, I have it right up there with the Imperial March from Star Wars myself. Oh, it's got to be better than that. That's from Star Wars. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll mention the Mandalorian before the end of this episode. <laughs> Don't, you'll get me on a rant about Space Wizards. Yeah, I, don't, don't, I, well, I think we're probably on the same page already. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I guess that since we've started talking about TNG and, and the fleshing out of the Klingons, they did appear in an episode, season one episode emissary, uh, three of them appeared in it. It's, it's not a great episode, but we get a little bit more of the fleshed out of the Klingon culture when one of them dies and they have the Klingon roar, which we've now seen a dozen, a dozens of times since then. Yeah. And the, the sense of honour, which isn't really mentioned that much in the original series, this culture of honour and everything's all about face and yeah. stuff like that. But it wasn't really till Ronald D. Moore started writing a bit more. Uh, and he really went for it with the Klingons because he gave, he, he gave us all the Klingon lore from TNG, starting with Sins of the Father. Yeah. And then bringing Kaylair back for Reunion and the Judas family uh, and Redemption Part 1 and 2. So you had, through Worf, this recurring story theme. So yeah. it was an episodic TNG, but somehow Worf had this recurring story that allowed him to develop and Ronald D. Moore to start to really flesh out the culture of the Klingons. I mean, you said TNG it was TNG that got you into Star Trek. So I mean, what's your memories of the great Klingon episodes from? Um, my earliest memory of a great Klingon episode has to be Worf walking through that passageway with the people with the pain sticks. Um, I think, oh no, that's uh, DS9. That's, that's, I love that's DS9. That's his stack night. <laughs> yeah, that's DS9. I've got <laughs> the wrong, his... but anyway. It, I, no, I, think, I think there is a it's, similar scene in TNG. I'm sure there's something with there's pain a... sticks in TNG, but then... Uh, as I, I got through talking about it, my brain went to the DS9 no, there's one. De- there's definitely a similar one. I think it's TNG, you, you first see it, but they, yeah. they, really, they really go for it in DS9 because that's what you do in a Klingon stag night. Um, ah, yeah, it is in TNG because I remember because Wesley stood at the end looking like he doesn't know what's going on because, well, he doesn't know what's going on. <laughs> partly because he hasn't got a clue what's going on and partly because yeah. he's Wesley. Um but yeah, no, there's there's just something about that, and there's it's the the ritualistic behaviour of them that's really powerful, um, and then I can't help but giggle uh, that scene where uh, Wesley and Worf are having the conversation about um, roles in the bedroom of male and female Klingons, um, where it's something along the lines of um, men don't roar, only women roar, men sit and read love poetry, or yeah. whatever the exact phrasing was. Yeah. It there's just a, makes me giggle. There's a great episode, and it's it's Wesley, I can't remember the episode, it's Wesley asking for advice on how to ask a girl out, and the camera just cuts to Worf going, ah! <laughs> that, that's what I would say. And Wesley's like, what? <laughs> it's just, you know... Uh, so they could be quite, you know, could be quite humorous about it as well. <laughs> yeah, no, um, and I really liked the fact that through Worf and TNG, like you've described, they built on it. They started off with bits and then they built more and more and more on top of it. Because I think had you just been fully exposed to this is a massive culture with all these different things and now you've got to take all of that in at once, it'd just lose its way somewhat. But the way they introduced it, um, bit by bit seem to work really well. Mm. Yeah. I mean, uh, introducing uh, more Worf's wife, Kayla, and making yeah. her such a strong character uh, was a great move. And if you've ever met Susie Plaxon at a convention... No, you know, I've not had the chance. She's fantastic. Absolutely fantastic guest at conventions. Um, and really enthusiastic about Star Trek and loves the fans. Um I mean, obviously, she played more than Kaylar in the Star Trek. She was the Q and the Voyager episode. 
Oh, right. Is that the same actress? The Q, the Q in the Grey, yeah. Uh, and she played a couple of other parts that I can't remember off the top of my head. But yeah, if you get a chance to meet Susie Plaxer or talk to her, go and do it. Fantastic, honestly. Um, yeah, they, they really fleshed it out. As you said, they, they introduced the, the drip, the drip fed you the stuff. Yeah. And, and think of what they introduced that became recurrent. Even the characters, because we're introduced to Gowron and TNG. Yeah. And then look at the, the story impact he had later on in... in Deep Space Nine. Yeah, yeah. and it's like you, you get the little bit of a, a, a life story of Alexander kind of um, that passes through as well. And there are those characters that that come in and, and go away again. Um, but yeah, it's, it's like you say, it's that drip feeding, it's that building up and it makes for such a rich culture because it feels like a culture, because you see all the different facets of it. Uh, you know what happens on the weddings. You know what happens at the funerals. You know what happens, um, you know what they eat. You know what their language is like, which is a whole different uh, thing that you've probably got written down somewhere on your this is things we need to talk whoa, about list. <laughs> I wasn't going to go there, but since you mentioned it. <laughs> I don't think we could talk about Klingons without talking about the language, surely. Yeah. Um, what other... Let's put Tolkien aside, but other than Tolkien, what other fictional race has a fully fleshed out language that people can actually speak? I can't speak any myself, but that, that's, there are people who can do it. Well, it's, um, also, it's also on Google Translate. Is it on there as well? It's on Google Translate, yeah. Because <laughs> um, you look at the other races, yeah, there's bits of Ferengi, there's bits of Vulcan, uh, there's few words of Andorian, but nothing is fleshed out like, you can go and buy a copy of Hamlet in Klingon, yeah. uh, in its original Klingon. The original Klingon, I was about to say. <laughs> but the fact that this is available just shows how rich and varied the culture of um, the Klingons as a race are. Yeah. Yeah. I do, I do think that though, although it is so wide and. Um, all-encompassing. I do find it a little bit one-flavoured, though, I do have to say. Um, because if you imagine Earth is a culture, because in hmm. Star Trek, that, that would make sense. If, Kling, if Kronos has a culture, then Earth has a culture. You couldn't pin all of humanity down to just your white Christians from the Northern Hemisphere, for example. Um, and I do, do feel that it would have been nice to have some other facets of Klingon culture in there. The people who were not like the people that we see, if that makes sense. A bit of diversity yeah. within yeah, I th Klingons. I, I mean, they're, they're reasonably guilty of that with most um, races that we know reasonably well in yeah. Star Trek. Uh, and if they, if they don't, anytime they do suggest that there are two or, or more than one faction, it's usually just binary, there's one or the other. You yeah. know, you've got your... Romulans what, and Remans. You've of. got your Romulans and Remans, or you've got your um, Vulcan extremists, you know. Yeah. Uh, no, I can't remember the names either. Yeah. Uh, so but yeah, got, those. You know, you've got that. Um, but, I mean, I, I guess that's for storytelling in terms of telling uh, stories through analogy. Um, yeah, you know, each race has got to represent a different facet of humanity that we're, we're looking at, and that, that's yeah. the way that's the way that we do it. But the other one that comes into TNG that we get introduced to that um, he's kind of a real person because we do see him, but he's more a historical person. But he's introduced in TNG and has a massive effect going forward to the Klingon culture in Deep Space Nine is Kalos. Yeah. Or, or Kalesh, as they keep calling him, him in Discovery. Um, <laughs> Kalesh. Kalesh. Yeah, that's because of the, it's those dentures that they make them wear. I, um, I was wondering whether it's the teeth that makes it come out as Kalesh. Well, they, well, they, can't, they can't actually speak Klingon, because when they speak Klingon in Discovery, they can't speak in a sentence. They've got to say one word yeah. and then reset their dentures because they're terrified they're going to fall out <laughs> and then say the next one. So it's like... <laughs> Kish, <laughs> and then yeah, it's, it's like they're about to. It's like their dentures are going to come flying out their mouth at any time. 
They'd have struggled to keep up with the Klingon opera, wouldn't they? Yeah. Okay, that's it's uh, <laughs> one of my favourite scenes is in Gambit, and the and when they go down to the planet bar, and there's a woman with all the the octopus arms that plays the the, the piano in the bar. Yeah. And uh, Worf goes up to her and says, "Do you know any Klingon opera?" And she goes, "Okay." And then they, she starts playing this tune, and he's like, "Yeah," <laughs> in this bar. That's like been all about, you know, blues and prostitutes and stuff like that. And it's, yeah. It's to be fair, that could be what he was singing about. I don't uh, know. I don't yeah, speak just, Klingon. Just a hilarious scene. <laughs> Love that scene. Um, I'd like to talk about Deep, Deep Space Nine. Now, we've, we've, we've tried to highlight some episodes, and that's pretty much all we can take from TOS. Little bit of the films, we've not really mentioned the films apart from the Klingon motif, but you know, the Klingons are baddies in three, they're baddies in five, they're yep. baddies in six, but they're still Russians. Yeah, still the Russians in six, very much the Russians in six, even though TNG had pulled away from that analogy. Um, the original series films still quite I, i'm quite happy that the book ended it with the the klingons to be honest with you in the storyline that they told about the collapse of the russian empire uh, but the so they were still russians but these are episodes that were highlighting it's not something you can do with ds9 when they come to talk about the klingons no well it's something you can't really do with ds9 as a whole unless you're picking on one of the weird and wonderful let's pad this season out a bit episodes that appear yeah. again i mean the um, pre- Pretty much in every episode from uh, season I'm going to have to rely on you here because you're going to be trying to get an episode I'm, I'm, name and I have the, no idea. We are pretty much in every episode from The Way of the Warrior. Yes. Yeah. 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 So. You know, and, and it really does have an arc to it, doesn't it? The Klingon story. Hmm. Yeah, like you say, it's hard to pin it down to just, oh yeah, in that episode that happened, because the way that show was structured, one episode flows into the other and it's hard to pin down exactly where, and you can talk about an incident that took place across four episodes or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was it was great to see, um, especially through Worf, who we'd seen Worf and we'd seen him having elements of contact with um, Klingon culture, but you come into DS9 and it's so much richer because they've got that through flow of story and you can see uh, it's just the way that uh, Michael Doran really carries that character as well and um, the characterization and everything that comes through with it, it's just... Yeah, no, I love it. Sorry, well, I'm struggling for words because I'm well, just it's kept, the, it's the, it's smiling. It, it's Worf and DS9. Um, yeah. On the whole, the character's the same, but Worf and TNG is the butt of the joke a lot of a lot of the yes. time. However, Jean DS9 was he was that linchpin, that that facilitator between the Federation and the Klingon Empire. Yeah. Because only he could act as the middleman between. The Klingon High Council and the Federation. He was the glue yeah. that kept kept the alliance together. Which would which from his role as security officer on the Enterprise is a million miles away. Yeah. He was still um, the same, still about honor, it was still about all the things that were important to him. But he had a better, more fleshed out role. Yeah. And it all gets a lot more political for him as well, doesn't it? Which is yeah. oh, it's part of the the joy of DS9 is the politics, um, and and to see the intricacies of how the High Council works and how that relates to Worf and his position in the Federation, and it, it's it's really good to see all that intricacy of detail that I really enjoy about the Klingons. Mm-hmm. Why they're one of my favourites? It's because we know so much about them. Yeah. Um, and, but there's a bit of fan service as well in there, in DS9, because uh, there's the episode escapes me, but Kor, Kang and Koloff come back. Yeah. Blood, Blood Oath. That's yep. it, Blood Oath. Fan service in Star Trek, never. Yeah. Um, <laughs> played by the original actors as well, William Campbell, John Colocus, and I can't remember who played Kang. Uh, and, you know, so, I mean, that was a, 
a bit of fan service, but when it comes to fan service, there's not really much beats to <laughs> trials and tribulations, is there? No, and having uh, this was the first time today that I'd ever seen um, trouble with tribbles. Mm-hmm. Um, having seen it the wrong way around was really quite interesting because I'm watching the episode today and I'm going, oh yeah, that's that scene where they put Cisco in. And oh yeah, that's where, um, no, that's not right because Bashir should be stood next to that little yellow thing stood on that wall there. Um, <laughs> so watching it backwards was um, an experience. Uh, it's not one I can recommend because you've either watched it the right way or the wrong way by now. Um, so that was really good. But yeah, the the going back and the the comment from Worf, um, this may segue us into Enterprise, but the comment with um, Worf when uh, I can't even remember who it is who asks him, they're not Klingons. What? Klingons That's, don't uh, look like that. Odo. Is it Odo? It's Odo, yeah. And um, his response is, oh, we do not talk about it in the Empire. Yeah. Uh, and it it's... It's good that they nod to it. That that line in its own, in its own right is definitely fan service. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was then they eventually come up with a, a plot reason as to why it happened. They should have just called that episode of Enterprise Retcon, and that would have worked. But you know, they they did it. There is now a, an in-universe reason as to why they went from looking like men with stucky, sticky fake beards to bridges and things. Whether you uh, like it or not. I like Affliction. I think Affliction's a great episode. Um, but yeah, one of the things that's quite quite interesting, because you mentioned Enterprise, is Enterprise kicks off with a Klingon episode. Yes. And we're in the unusual position as the audience to know way, way more about the Klingons yeah. than Starfleet do when Broken Bow goes out. Yeah. And we pretty much see the Klingons from TNG. When I say the Klingons, the Klingons as we know, what their culture and world was. That's the Klingons yeah. that we see right from the off in Enterprise, which is a world away from what we got in the original series. And I think yeah. that's I think that's tough to do from a writing perspective. Because you know them, but Archer and Co. didn't. But I think that gives you the opportunity as a writer to be able to add more um, because you don't have to explain everything. Mm. You don't have to explain what this creature is or what it's doing or why it's doing what it's doing because it's a Klingon and we know what it's doing and why it's doing what it's doing. So you can kind of think, oh, this is the pilot of a new season, of a new series. Yet our audience already know all this stuff, which you don't normally have that luxury in a pilot. Um, so I think that that was actually in the writer's favour, and I think they did it well. Um, I think that worked in their favour a lot, so that they could create a, a good pilot, because mm. pilots quite often, pilots for any series are quite often, this is so-and-so, their job is so-and-so, and here they're going doing this. Yeah. Next character. <laughs> Yeah. Um, whereas it didn't have that that feel to it. Yeah, well, I mean, we got introduced to a couple of good characters because we got introduced to Admiral Forrest and Broken Bow. Yeah. Um, we introduced to Saval and Broken Bow, who I didn't really like until season three, and then they killed him. Uh, oh no, they didn't kill him; they killed Forrest, didn't they? Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. So apologies if you've not seen um, season four of Enterprise, folks. To be fair, if, if, if we're giving out spoilers for a 20-year-old TV series, I don't think we need to really apologise well, that much. Okay, again, our, our beloved co-host, who's not with us tonight, has not seen the whole of Enterprise. He's not seen DS9 and he's not seen the whole of Enterprise. And What's he doing with his life? I don't know. I don't know. He's tra- we're trying to wa- do a watch-through of DS9 and we've made, made it five episodes in. Um, it's just... Actually, why is he my co-host? I actually do not know why he's my co-host. Have you got to move along home yet? No, we haven't got to move along home. Oh, I love that episode so much. 
It's definitely in the so bad it's good category. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. There is no other way of describing it, but it is uh, one of my favourite DS9 episodes. Sorry, I went off on a massive that, tangent. That, then. It's, it's DS9's threshold. Um, yeah. Definitely. Um, yeah, so, I, I mean, I enjoyed the Enterprise. The Klingons weren't in it that much. No. Um, but I enjoyed it. We didn't really see... We've seen them in Broken Borders. There's a couple of episodes, I think, in season one or two where we see them. And then I think that's pretty much it, apart yeah, until, um, until you get to Affliction in season four and you get yeah. the, the Ridges backstory. Um, but that's, you wouldn't come into contact with them very much would you if you think timeline wise that no. wouldn't make sense for Captain Archer to go and make friends with all the Klingons well that therefore makes TOS not make sense because mm-hmm. in TOS they're just baddies we don't know anything about them other than the fact that they're baddies and they want to murder us and they love war yeah. um, so I think finding out too much as Starfleet would have taken away from Kirk and his crew yeah I mean, it's, uh, again, going back to the original series and, and why they made the Klingons Russians, uh, the Russians, I don't know, because we, we met the Romulans first in Errand of Mercy about 10 episodes before we got to Errand, uh, uh, yeah. so Balance of Terror, about 10 episodes before we got to Errand of Mercy. Um, and Errand of Mercy is a World War II submarine battle. Yeah. So I, I, I'm... I'd like to know the story of what made them go with Klingons when they'd already introduced a pretty interesting race that would have... Yeah, I suppose with my modern view of Trek, um, as opposed to the um, 1960s view, that you could perhaps think that um, the Romulans were more like your KGB Russian and the Klingons were more like your general Russian, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so you've got like the the very, very tactical espionage element, which is your Romulan. Um, and then you've got your standard Soviet soldier who would possibly be a Klingon. Maybe they were trying to make that difference. I don't know. I'm spitballing here. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just something that came into my head that, I noticed that, you know, when I was doing a little bit of note-taking before we came on, I was like, well, Balance of Terror was first. You know, why did we get the Klingons then if Balance of Terror was first? And then we don't really see the Romulans, I think, in the original series, do we, after that? I don't know. I'd have to watch mm. more of it and mm. I struggle well, with the shaky sets and bright colours. Well, again, it's about stuff being um, a product of its time. Yeah. And, oh yeah. And you know, color TV was brand new in 1966, 67. So they went off everything primary colours. So that everybody would go, oh my god, look at the colours. You know. Um it's a bit like people I've got a lot of beefs with Discovery, but one of them is not the Discovery Bridge. People talk about the Discovery Bridge and the size of it and things like that. Well, the reason the Discovery Bridge is that big white bridge and everything is stressed out. It's because we now watch stuff on TVs that are 16.9 and not 4.3. Yep. And, you know, you've got 4K resolution. Let's use it. Yeah. And when you watch TNG in 4K, you can see the scuff marks on the set and everything. It's great. (laughs) Yeah. It's brilliant. Um, So I guess we did mention them earlier, but we're going to have to talk about Discovery Klingons a bit more, I think. Uh, yeah, I don't like them. No, I'm I, I'm I'm with you on that one. Um, I dislike season one Discovery Klingons more than I dislike season two Discovery Klingons. Um, I think that, um, well, I have a way of describing Star Trek Discovery anyway, which is season one is good sci-fi. Season two is mediocre Star Trek and season three is good Star Trek is the way that I see um, Discovery. So I can apply the same thing to the Klingons. The season one Klingons to me just don't feel like Klingons at all. I can't link the two together. Um, I don't speak the language, so it makes no difference to me what they're speaking. Mm. It's just a language I can't understand. So yes, it may be Klingon, but that doesn't do anything for me because I don't understand it. 
Uh, I think by season two, by the time they start getting hair and things like that, and I know it's just an aesthetic, um, but by the time they're starting to get hair and they're, they're actually starting to talk about elements of Klingon culture that we've heard of, that we know about, as opposed to um, in season one where they're all talking about Takuvma. Well, who's Takuvma? We've never heard of him since. Um, mm. I just think that I think the fans whinged that much at the end of season one that they went, oh, we'll try and fix it a bit. And I think they did fix it a bit. I think they are better, but they're still not proper Klingons. I wasn't convinced of the Time Crystal thing at all. No? The Klingons looking after the Time Crystals, I was like, no, where, where did that come from? You've just basically pulled that out of your arse. Um, I think I was more annoyed that they just called it a time crystal. It's like, come on, put some effort in. Give it some sort of technical name. I could have called it an infinity stone, you know. Oh, wait a minute, someone's done that. Yeah, yeah. But when Marvel are coming up with more imaginative names for our tech than Star Trek are, then, you know, just give it a name. But 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 again, the time crystal wasn't a tech. No. And this is what annoys me. It doesn't feel like a Star Trek name for it, though. See, I mean, my theory with Star Trek is uh, season one, tried and missed. Season two, what the hell? Season three, thanks, I'm out here. Um, it's been great, but I'm, 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 yeah. I've had enough. I'm going home now. Uh, my taxi's here. Um, I just, um, probably compounded by Picard as well. As, did you well, Did you not enjoy that either? No. No. Stuck it. Well, I see. I saw it to the end. My again, one of the one of the feelings of Picard is exactly the same feeling that I've mentioned earlier with Discovery. Come up with a concept and then don't follow it through in any meaningful or substantial way. And an example would be some of the characterisation. One of the interesting things that I was enjoying about Picard was his cling, his Romulan housekeepers. Yeah. And then they were gone. And then, you know, given that he was going to help Romulans, would it not have been good to have a couple of ex-Tal Shah from the perspective of we're the Romulans at side with you, and then you can have all this exposition about stuff from Romulans? See, I've got a suspicion that that was done on purpose so that they can bring them back in season two. I've got a feeling that they were purposely left out of the story so that at some point we'll have a what actually happened with that element of it mm. whether that's the right decision or not i don't know but i, I feel that uh, that's probably what they're doing and then the, the, the oh, i can't believe i'm talking about this <laughs> the scene where seven plugs herself back into the board cube anyone that's watched any board episode will know the significance of what she's done there yeah. And, and what could have been the long-term effects for her and what could have happened to the Borg and the Romulans on the artefact, as they called it. Yeah. And uh, two minutes later, they were all sucked out into space where they can live anyway because they didn't have spacesuits in first contact. And uh, she screams no, and then that's it. And then the, the episode later, Borg cube crashes for no reason on the planet, and it served absolutely no purpose after all that you get to 10 episodes and you, well, what was, what was the Borg about then? Other than what this current writing team do, what the Star Trek fans like? Like the Borg, let's put the Borg in it. What else did I like? They like Spock, let's put Spock in it. What else did I like? And there's far too much tick boxing goes on. I'm, this is me, I'm ranting now, James. I'm ranting. That's all right, I'm enjoying it. You carry on. <laughs> the problem is, right, it's, the problem is not comparing what's being written today with old Star Trek. That is not the problem. That is not what makes it, that is not what makes new Trek look substandard compared to old Trek. The problem is what they're writing in comparison to stuff like Breaking Bad, Stranger Things, Ozark. Now Breaking Bad and Ozark are not science fiction shows, but they're written for an intelligent audience that have nuance and character development and stuff is allowed to stew so that you get payback later on in the series. You get the payoff. 
from stuff that happens. And that should be the audience that Star Trek is writing for now. That's the, it should be the same audience as Breaking Bad, the same audience as Ozark, all those, those shows. The same audience, I don't know if you've seen it, the same audience as For All Mankind. I haven't seen that. No. The same audience as The Expanse. That's who they should be writing for. And that's the standard of writing that they should be aiming for. And to me, they're just not hitting it. They, they, they introduce something and then they fail because they keep going for a cheap shot. They keep going for a quick hit. They think they're appealing to the MTV generation and they just want everything quick. And you look at the shows that have been successful on TV. TV has changed in the last 10, 15 years. And Star Trek has been given a golden opportunity and these writers have been given a gift an absolute gift of a universe that has been built, of characters that have developed, of lore that is there for them. They just have to tell the next story. And there's be TV production companies everywhere wish they had that intellectual property. And the shows that have come by surprise over the last 10 years, Breaking Bad, Ozark, The Expanse, they're not big action shows, they're not big fast moving shows. Their dialogue, their intellectual, their cerebral, they make you think, and they've come out in nowhere. They've not been tick box and they've not been Mandalorian, because you were wanting to talk about the Mandalorian, a fantastic example of great set pieces. Not much else. I, I got about two episodes in and got fed up. I just can't deal with space wizards. I'm sorry. <laughs> Marco, I'm, I'm six episodes in, but I don't think I'll be watching it anymore. Yeah, um, I, I get what you're saying about um, New Trek. I, I have to disagree with you. Um, I, I don't mean that I think you're wrong. I mean that my opinion is different than yours because uh, I think that's something important that we need to maintain in the fandom of Star Trek is that we're allowed to have different opinions. That doesn't mean that your opinion is wrong and that mine is right. Sorry. I, I, get, I get off on one with... Um, gatekeeper fans who were um telling people that you can't like star trek if you like discovery what a lot of crap you're allowed to like discovery and call yourself a star trek fan anyway sorry that was my mini rant there and i'm trying not to go into a big one uh but i i think that star trek discovery and the other new treks are trying to appeal to an audience who don't already have the baggage of knowing about the previous um, iterations of Star Trek in the same way. They're not writing for old Trek fans. They're writing for who they think the new new Star Trek fans of tomorrow are going to be. Um, so it is a different style of writing. It is different to Breaking Bad and things like that. But that's not necessarily a bad thing um, because not everybody is into that sort of high cerebral um, television. Sometimes, yes, have that element of cerebralness to your television, but just tone it down a little bit. Um, then you don't... Then I, I don't know. I just think that they're writing to a slightly different audience. I, I don't. I don't think they're winning that audience because the people watching it are basically roughly half the existing Star Trek audience. There must be more than just them, though, because that's not enough to keep basically CBS all access afloat. Because I don't think they've got anything else on it other than Star Trek. Um, CBO access isn't afloat because it's, it's. Oh no! It's Paramount Plus now, isn't it? They've yeah. called it or something. I mean, I think the, I mean, I think the inverse is true. I think the only reason Star Trek is alive is because it's now the intellectual property of whoever's launching Paramount Plus, and they need something that they can launch that has a global brand. That's, no, I, I, I don't I, I, think for a minute that that's not the reason why they've done it. They've definitely done it because they can say, this is our new service and we've got so-and-so on it. Um, the same happened in the States when Voyager came out because that went straight onto a new service that's name I can't remember, didn't it? 
um, and they used Star Trek Voyager as their, hey, we've got this new television service and it's the only place you can watch Star Trek Voyager. Um, I, I don't know, I'm not American, so I don't know too much about it, but I know that it was used in a similar way to how Discovery was used for CBS All Access. There's a reason Disney spent a fortune on intellectual property before they launched Disney Plus. Yeah. Globally. Globally. But no, I generally like New Trek. Um, Like I said, I don't think season one of Discovery was Star Trek at all. But anyway, we're supposed to be talking about Klingons and we're currently talking about New Trek. So what about Lower Decks? What about when they go to that planet and they go to... Have you seen Lower Decks? Sorry, before I carry on. Yeah, I've seen Lower. I I just thought I'd check. Uh, And they go to the the Klingon quadrant on the planet um, or where she's at the beginning of the first episode and she's like, I've got a Batleth! I got it off a guy with an eye patch! Um, well, come on, Klingon with a with an eye patch. Where does your brain go? Um, um, I, 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 it was, it was, I'll, I'll tell you what, uh, it was okay. I feel like but, I've just got really excited. And I was, people who are listening to this podcast don't get to see Gregor's face at the moment. That just looks like I've just spat on his grandchildren. It was, it was, no, no, Lower Decks was okay. It was much better than Picard and much better than Discovery, but it was just okay. And to come back to your point in terms of who New Trek is for, well, Lower Decks wasn't certainly not the demograph that you've described because it was nothing but fan service, fan service, and oh, fan yeah. service. But, so, I mean, that's not going to appeal to people that are not new to Star Trek. I, I, I don't know. It's, it's hard to know what Lower Decks would look like without Star Trek knowledge. And, um, if I'd come from Rick and Morty having never seen Star Trek, would I get Lower Decks? I don't know because it's hard yeah. to. But Imagine. I don't know. Again, I don't know who's. I don't know who Lower Decks is for. I know. I think I know who would like it, but I don't know who it's for. And I don't. I just don't remember people saying, "Do you know what we need? We need a Rick and Morty style animated Star Trek series." I don't remember the fans crying out for that. You know? No. Uh, but as I say, it's it's okay. But I wouldn't. I'm not going to recommend to my colleagues at work. But um. Not going to say to them it's brilliant because it was okay. I watched it. I watched all ten episodes, which is more than I've done with season three of Discovery. So that that says something. Yeah. No. Um. And like I said before, I I'm a big believer in you don't like it. That's fine. We're all allowed to like and not like different things. Um. Otherwise, we'd all just be sat watching the same thing on television all the time. Um. So it does give variety. Um. We were talking about Klingons, weren't we? Where were we up to on that before we went off on our um, new Trek rant? Uh, orcs. Up to the orcs. Oh, space orcs. Yeah. Oh. They, they do look like they fell out of Lord of the Rings. I'm sorry. I mean, part, I mean the, the ships and the stuff was a lot more... Was it gothic? Or, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen the film Existence. No, I don't think I have. It's a David Cronenberg film. Um, it was all very, uh, I like like that, where everything's biomechanical. Um, their ships and things like that. Yeah, there didn't seem any link between any Klingon vessel I've ever seen or the inside of that magic cathedral crypt thing. Yeah, I, yeah I, they, they just made that up, though, didn't they? That, yeah. Thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I think it was a mistake to talk about the Klingon War. I think it was a mistake ultimately to do a 10 year before Enterprise thing. I think that's where a lot of the issues with Discovery are. And yeah, if you don't, no, I, I, I agree. Um, Which is why that, I find the new season so much better because I think they've taken those chains away. But I won't yeah. get you on another one. Let's let's keep yeah, on. But that, none, none of that was, but that was. I mean, Kurtzman gets to blame him for that, but I, I don't blame. No, that was Brian Fuller. Exactly. You know, yeah. Was, that was all, and the, the space mushrooms was Brian Fuller as well. Yeah. No, that was all written because <laughs> they were about three or four episodes in, weren't they, when Kurtzman took over? I don't know. I don't know if they were in, but they were pretty close to production. It was too late to change it anyway. Yeah. Uh, I thought they were already in production, but I might be wrong. Yeah. Well, either way, in production or about to yeah. start, it was too late anyway. Yeah. They were committed. Um, but 
you know, I mean, I, I want to like it, but I just, I just can't. I just can't. I can't get past some of the stuff. And as I say, it's not old Trek that's the problem for me. It's, it's some of it's, it's the alternative programs out there. That's the problem when I compare it to that. But on a complete side note, if you haven't watched For All Mankind on Apple TV, watch it. I will write that down on my piece of paper that currently says um, A Private Little War. And what's this film? (laughs) No, it's it's a TV show. Oh, TV show. TV show on Apple TV. I'm going to say five words to you. Executive producer, Ronald D. Moore. Cool. And... If it that, was, that's, that's sold. If it was on Netflix, it would be the number one show in the world right now. Everybody would be talking about it. Because it's on Apple, nobody's talking about it. Yeah. If it was on Netflix, it would be the number one show in the world right now. I kid you not. It is that good. Well, I think it's that good. <laughs> that's all right. I know what my homework is for this evening now. Yeah. If you want to see a Russian land on the moon first, that's your show. I'm not giving away any spoilers here. That's in the first five minutes. Right. So, yeah. Um, but So what would you say is your favourite Klingon episode? Uh, favourite Klingon episode? It's going to have to be Worf and Jadzia's wedding. Hmm. It's just fantastic. Those the outfits and the costume, yeah, the whole, yeah, it's got to be the wedding episode. Mm. What about yourself? Ooh, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, I mean, we have the warriors pretty good. Yeah. Um, if I have to, pick, I mean, that's pretty good, and I mean, Civil War had a great storyline in the. Penumbra sequence in season seven. Yeah. Um, and he also had a great line in the episode, take me to the holodeck in the baseball match. Who didn't have a good line in De- that death, episode? Death to the opposition. <laughs> <laughs> I love that episode so much. Uh, so, yeah. Ooh. Yeah, I, I think I'll go with Way the Warrior because it was such a landmark episode. Yeah. And I think... Uh, yeah, definitely. And worst way in tr- tr- trials and tribulations is brilliant in that. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. That that whole episode is just brilliant. It's it's even better now. I've seen Trouble with Tribbles. Listen, if you've seen um, Trials and Tribulations and you've gone, I don't like TOS. Go back to, back and watch Trouble with Tribbles anyway, just so that that episode of DS Nine is better. I mean, I've just watched seventy nine episodes of TOS. I reckon there's about twenty-five. Yeah. That are that are good. That are proper when I say good, I mean proper worthy of the Star Trek name. Yeah. There was a lot of politics going on there with people interfering with the writing team and stuff like that. And what what the network wanted it to be and what Roddenberry wanted it to be were totally opposite things. He promised them wagon train to the stars and they didn't get wagon train to the stars and they noticed that. Um, no, but, you know, they're still making money off it now, so they shouldn't complain. Yeah, they should. Well, no, they shouldn't. Um, it's holding up. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's... A, there are, in fact, it's not a Klingon episode, but and it's a season three episode of all, um, but it's one of the ones that I remember as a young kid when it was being repeated, an episode called Let That Be Your Last Battlefield. That's worth watching. Well, I, I do keep meaning to go and watch more TOS, mainly because um, uh, a, a certain Commodore keeps grumping at me that I haven't watched enough of it. Um, yeah. oh, you only need to watch 25. I'll send you the 25 episodes you need to watch. That's all. I've don't. got Netflix. I can watch them. Yeah, it's just knowing which ones. Don't, don't. I tried starting at the beginning, and I got to about season one, episode three, and I was like, I can't watch this anymore. It's just terrible. Um. Well, Space Seeds are season one. one. That's uh, when you meet Khan. I really enjoyed the two I watched today. Um, I, uh, I went on the internet, tried to find some recommendations as to which ones to watch, because I knew Gal- we were talking about Klingons. Galileo 7's a good one. 
Um, what else is? What else would I say? It's a good one. I mean, if you this the naked time because it's the naked now is the remake in TNG, wasn't it? Uh, Amok time. Big big Vulcan episode. Oh, I do like a bit of Vulcan. Big Vulcan episode. Uh, but yeah, some, some, they're good. I think probably you'll like, if you find a couple that you'll like, some of the ones that you wouldn't like, you'll know a bit more and you'll like them if that makes sense. Yeah, no, no, it does. So, yeah, that's, oh, there's someone in the background. Oh, I, I noticed that as well. I, I nearly said there's somebody behind you, but I thought that might freak you out a little yeah. bit. <laughs> well, I thought if I'd said, no, there isn't, would that have freaked you out? <laughs> Yeah, just a bit. And then switch the lights out. <laughs> oh, I'd be um, ringing around trying to find your next of kin. Yeah. Uh, oh, James, it's been great having you. Hopefully you'll come on again very soon because we don't... No, it's been good. Um, so at this bit, we'll get pe- usually give people a little bit of a chance to promote what it is they do and where we can find you on social media. So the stage is yours. Uh, so on social media, I am Thamilaton, which is spelt really awkwardly, but you know, um, I'm sure somebody will tag me in something so you'll be able to see it at some point. And that on most of social media, um, it, I, mainly on Twitter when I'm talking about Star Trek, I do exist on Facebook, but that's mainly work rubbish. Um, most of my Star Trek talking is on Twitter. That tends to be where I live and lock it away in a drawer until I've seen the latest episode kind of thing. So, yeah, feel free to say hello on Twitter. Always happy to have new friends. Um, you, you'll never be as good as when Star Trek, actual at Star Trek followed me on Twitter, but, you know, you can try. Yeah, well, I don't think they follow me. You know, I've got <laughs> a couple of decent followers, but nothing like that. Um, so, yeah, as usual, you can find me on at, uh, on Twitter at, uh, at Crabbit Ginger. Um, I've been Gregor. I've been with James tonight and uh, look forward to catching you all again sometime soon. Live long and prosper. Thank you for listening to Sparkler Week. Tune in next week for more Sparkler Week action and never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast on the catcher that you are listening to us on. If you want to follow us on Twitter, then you can find us at Sparkler Week. Drop us a message, tell us how we're doing, or make a suggestion. We're welcome to all input from all our fans. So don't hesitate to get in touch and follow us on Twitter and on our Facebook page as well. Why not join us in 10 Forward if you like what we do and want to say thank you? The link for our Buy Me A Coffee page is in the show notes, so please check that out. And uh, hopefully we'll see you there. If not, we will see you next week. Live long and prosper. It's up to you. As long as you come back next week and listen to us once again, we'll be happy to have you back. Live long and prosper.